Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 1130 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints. Ladies and gentlemen, yes, something got in my throat. I don't know what it is, but welcome to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. Happy Friday, and we want to get straight to it since I know you all don't want to hear this. Uh, it's uh, Finance Friday, and we have Paul Z. Shelton with Warwick Shore on. Good morning. How are you doing today? Good morning. How are you um, doing today? I, I'm. I guess I'm. I'm okay somewhat. Just got to get rid of this. This whatever's got my voice here. So, but how are you yeah, doing? I'm doing well. There, there's definitely something going around. I've noticed that, uh, especially when you have four kids, you're not immune to to whatever well, change see, I, is happening. Well, I don't have personally four kids, but. I know I have probably between 20 and 30 of them that I hang out with for about three hours in the afternoon, Monday through Friday. So I don't know if that has anything to do with that or not. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay, so where to start? I guess we, we are, are still waiting on the jobs report, but um, I wanted to ask a little bit about some of the layoffs that I've seen, especially it looks like seems like a lot of those have occurred in the tech areas. Can you talk about that? Yeah, definitely. We're we're seeing a, a lot of different layoffs that are taking place now. Um, but, you know, specifically in that tech arena, and that's something that is was kind of expected um, when we, we saw interest rates rising. We did see a little, uh, some layoffs when interest rates first started to rise. Um, the tech industry is, is part of the growth area of the economy, and typically tech companies are interest rate driven. Um, they have a lot of leverage um, in, a, in a lot of, you know, cases, many tech companies do, and that leverage is based on um, the interest rates, and, and sometimes when those interest rates are rising, um, it creates some volatility internally on the balance sheets, and then that can create some employment volatility throughout the whole sector. So that is something that we we have seen. Um, I think many CEOs were hoping that we would get some reprieve and get some cuts, um, some rate cuts coming in March or, or possibly earlier than that. Um, <clears throat> some of the data that came out, especially when Jerome Powell spoke on Wednesday, he kind of, you know, blatantly told us that March is out of the picture for a rate cut and that they're going to continue to be data dependent, continue to wait for the market to show signs of it. But, um, Although he's saying that, 
we're still seeing, you know, days like yesterday where, where the market saw, you know, some good economic data points and we saw a significant, um, significant positive rise in, in the stock market on yesterday. And so that, that still kind of, kind of plays the picture as to, you know, will rates drop or will rates, although they are coming down somewhat organically, will the Federal Reserve, you know, um, loosen monetary policy a little bit, then that will help out, you know, the tech sector and, and, and kind of hold back on some of the layoffs that they have to do. But yeah, we, I'm interested to see, you know, what the jobs report will say and how those numbers, um, that tech sector specifically, how that has affected uh, the, the jobs report when it comes out. I also saw something um, earlier this morning about uh, fewer people leaving their jobs, quitting their jobs. Um, it, it's also impacted a little bit by the Fed. Uh, yeah, I, I think right now we're in such an area of uncertainty. Um, you know, uh-huh. when we had when we had these conversations two years ago, um, mm-hmm. and when I had conversations two years ago, you know, with um, applicants that were looking for jobs, uh, the the notion was, you know, I can write my own ticket because there's jobs everywhere. I can I can demand to work from home five days a week. I can demand a high salary. I could demand, you know, um, all these additional perks and things of that nature. Um, a, a lot of companies, and, and because we did hit full employment in the economy, um, a lot of companies are now being able to take back um, some of those demands, and, and the paradigm has shifted to it being um, more of a, you know, cost push supply when it comes to the labor market. So it's whatever the organizations and the companies and corporations are are posting out there and, you know, it's kind of take it, like it, love it, or leave it. And for those employees that are realizing that, uh, hey, I'm, I don't have the ability just to write my own ticket um, anywhere I go, they're, you know, the, the notion is, hey, let me keep my feet planted for a while. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I don't know exactly if we're going to have a, a recession or not, um, which in my mind, I don't think we will. And if we do, it's going to be very, very mild and muted. Um, but that, that fear and capitulation is, is throughout the whole um, work labor force. So, you know, I think that's causing a lot of people to say, let me stay put. Let me, uh, let me not just try to, to, to follow the fad or, or follow what's next um, because I may end up making a transition um, at the turn of the market and be unable to jump back into the labor force as quickly as I would like. I want to actually switch a little bit now to the local economy, especially this weekend. We have a couple of major events going on this weekend um, in the Orlando area. One is um, the U.S. Um, Olympic trials for for um, France. Uh, this summer, and then of course the big one, bigger one, I guess you could say, or more, more immediate one, is the Pro Bowl. Uh, talk a little bit about what you perceive to be the impact of having these two events, other than some traffic tie-ups and nightmares. But the economic impact obviously is expected to outweigh all of that trouble. Yeah, it, it it does. Yeah, and that's a significant um, economic impact that we have to our community for these events. You know, when you look at 
um, travel and leisure is something that we are really, really big on in our community. And, and to, the ability to have um, so many visitors come to Orlando, you know, that are going to patronize our restaurants, our shops, our stores, stay in our hotels. Um, there's more, you know, nights that will be booked um, throughout the, the region. That That is significant for us. Um, it's significant for the, the, the growth of the economy because what tends to happen is when people visit Orlando or, or visit a specific region, um, they fall in love with it. You know, there there's some good experiences that can happen here, and that drives more growth and more economic opportunity overall. And um, this is actually a conversation that, you know, I, I sit on the audit board for the city of Orlando, and, you know, back at the end of the year, we were having a conversation about, you know, February 3rd and this whole particular weekend because it's going to create a significant demand um, on law enforcement and on just protection and, and just everything that takes place in the city to pull off um, events of this nature. So um, we're, we were looking, you know, at that impact, you know, the impact to the city of what it could be from a financial standpoint um, and also, you know, what it would be from, from a growth standpoint. Um, and, you know, I don't have the exact dollars and the estimations. I know Visit Orlando has put some projections out and they probably will be able to provide us with some more solid information um, in the coming months um, after uh, everything has passed. But overall, this will will really be a, a positive for the area. And and I'm hoping and praying, of course, that everyone is safe and, and has a good time. Um, and with that being the case, and it's pulled off successfully, this opens the door for our region, um, the Central Florida region being Orlando, Tampa, um, and, and the usage of, of Daytona potentially to buy for an Olympics in the future. Now, that will create a significant impact. And I just know from, from history, whenever you look at um, um, economies that are hosting the Olympics, there's always a significant, significant financial impact that takes place leading up to the Olympics. Um, if you, you, we saw it in Tokyo. We saw it in, um, you know, in um, Brazil. We, we've seen it everywhere uh, where, where the Olympics is held every four years. And then subsequently that following year or two, um, because there is such an, uh, you know, such a rise in, in economic activity and such a rise in infrastructure that is built, there is typically um, somewhat of a, a recession that takes place in that area which many people say, well, we had such a great time, but now it's fallen off. But what's left behind is great infrastructure. Um, we kind of saw that in Atlanta. You know, there's, there's greater infrastructure that's left behind. And I would be enthused because all of this ties in as perfect timing when you have bright line that's maturing down throughout the state and maturing over to uh, Tampa as well. Uh, all of this will really happen at a perfect time and set Orlando and our region up to potentially vie for greater events in the future, which will really, really drive um, the greatest level of economic impact for us. Okay. Well, that sounds that sounds good. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, to see a, a little bit more in some of the uh, for for some of the people uh, that are in the low income areas, you know, being able to maybe you know get more jobs, take home if they develop the infrastructure, which is definitely something that's needed 
you know, having uh, better access to other locations, you know, work locations and, and so forth. So um, I'm hoping that, you know, we'll, we'll see some, you know, and I'm, I'm hoping for some more immediate effects, not necessarily down the road, but something more immediate because the way our population is growing, it, it's like some of this stuff can't wait. You know, the, the infrastructure right. issues are, are compounding. And so some mm-hmm. of this can't, can't really wait, you know, for like another five years or 10 years down the road. Yeah, 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 you're you're correct, and and we we've been behind, and unfortunately we have a history of being behind over the last thirty plus years um, in Orlando when it comes to you know transportation infrastructure within the metropolitan area, and um, that's only going to get worse. I know SunRail is is great, but it's trying to service an area and and carry out tasks that um, that really a larger metropolitan plan or train or infrastructure system would do. Um, so it's uh, it's definitely needed. I agree with you 100%. Well, actually, having grown up here, unfortunately, it seems to be, uh, you know, I guess the trend for not just years but decades is like, uh, if you don't, it's almost like a mentality. If you don't do anything, maybe it'll just go away or go somewhere else or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's been happening, unfortunately, since Disney. You know, it's like, well, you know, maybe we won't have to deal with all of that. But Disney came and, you know, it impacted us and we weren't as ready as we should have been for the impact. Cool. You know, and so it's like, oh, well, it's it is here, and we've got to do something about it, and we really we've got to do better in our planning. Uh, we've got to be more strategic, but at the same time, I think we have to uh, not race so much to the point where we forget what Florida is really about. Uh, I've, I've been telling people, people come down to Florida for the sunshine, for the greenery, and everything else, and if you just, you know concrete up everything. I know this is a little off off subject, but if you just concrete up everything, it's not Florida anymore, you know? So, so yeah, so I think they do need to be a little bit more strategic and thoughtful, but, um, you know, a little pulling the trigger a little bit quicker on some things that, that if you know, you got to deal with it, just go ahead and and deal with it and and make the, the tweaks the necessary changes along the way. Correct, correct, correct. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree a thousand percent in that respect. Yeah. So it looks like we have our um eight thirty has rolled around on the clocks and it looks like we have our initial readings of the the um January jobs report here. Okay. And so we're gonna take just, a quick break before you get to that. So Okay. Um and um we are here we are recording today so like I told you yesterday, if you had questions I needed to find out about them yesterday. So um the number well, we're not giving out the number. We're here with Paul D. Shelton of Warwick Shores. Mm-hmm. Uh, advisors, um, and this is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We will be right back. At Vintage Labs Collection, 
We are a multifaceted team of medical professionals dedicated to delivering the best quality products to patients. Our mission is to deliver the best supplement and patient outcomes in healthcare environments and consumer homes. Chat with our consulting pharmacists by visiting our website at www.vintagelabscollection.com. Supplements are not highly regulated, but Vintage Labs holds the standards higher than most. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty, everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you, caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. Good morning. Welcome back to G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. Um, it is Finance Friday here on G's Power Hour, and we are pre-recording. That's why you heard uh, uh, Paul mention the reference page 30. Um, so, yeah, we're, uh, we wanted to make sure that you had the latest information in terms of the job numbers and the impact. So um, what are you seeing, Paul? So is these it- numbers of have- come out and, and there has um, been a surprise, honestly, to the upside. There was a consensus and the expectation of right around 180,000 jobs would be added to the economy. Um, we added 353,000. 353,000. Oh, wow. That's a, a significant surprise to the upside. Um, the, un- the unemployment rate remains the same at 3.7%, which we thought it would initially tick up to about 3.8% with the lower number. But it did uh-huh. remain the same, um, even though the, the jobs numbers were higher. Our participation rate um, is still a little bit higher, too. Our, it's in a healthy range. I shouldn't say high. It was expected to drop. Um, that's why they were expecting the unemployment rate to rise. But the, the participation rate, those that are participating in our employment and our workforce, uh, stays at 62.5%. Uh, one of the things that is significant about this report, and that's a very good and a very positive thing, and this is um, hopefully helpful to our our uh, bank accounts and pocketbooks, is that the average hourly earnings month over month and year over year increased. So the average hourly earnings increased by six-tenths of a basis point, um, 0.6 of a percent, which is significant. Um, there was expectation that it would increase by three-tenths of a basis point, but it increased by six-tenths of a basis point, and this is on the back of increasing in the month of um, December by four um, basis, or 40 basis points, I should say. So that, is, that's mean, that means that, you know, we're getting a little bit more money in our paychecks, or, or at least, that, you know, those raises are starting to trickle through the economy um, at a time where it seems like that, we may be seeing inflation ease. So hopefully, you know, those, that tension and that pressure that's been on the ventricles of our economic society and our pocketbooks are starting to, to ease a little bit for us, which is a good thing. Year over year, those average hourly earnings increased by 4.5%. So, you know, initially it was a month-over-month basis I'm showing you, but year over year it's expected to increase by 4.1%. 
that means that we were expected to have a, a, a increase in our salaries and wages and income by 4.1%, and we outperformed that and increased by uh, 4.5%, which overall is great. Those are, those are great things. This is a, a very, very good jobs report um, from the standpoint of showing the health of our economy, the health of the individual um, consumer that's in our economy, the health of the, those individuals that are out spending and, and driving the economic force in our economy. However, the caveat behind this is with numbers that are this good, this really tickles um, the Federal Reserve and tells them that, hey, inflation is not going to disappear, even though things have come down a little bit. We still have a lot of um, we still have a lot of employees, a lot of people in our society that are are making a lot of money and that are still growing, and um, our economy is still growing. So it's very possible that they're going to continue to spend. You know, whenever we see more spending. Um, our higher average, average hourly earnings in our society, people don't just save that money, unfortunately. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't look like the savings rate has increased. Um, hopefully, we'll see a decrease in, in, in the debt, individual debt, credit card debt, and things of that nature. But these earnings very well may go towards, you know, more vacations, um, more events, more things of that nature, which will cause – uh, the Federal Reserve to say, hey, we can't cut interest rates in March, and we definitely may not be able to cut interest rates in May. We may have to keep rates higher for longer to tame inflation. So, Paul, I don't know if you've been able to decipher the report. I know it just came out, but where because we have this unexpected almost double the numbers in terms of the jobs um, from 180 to, I think it's 353. Where are we seeing the biggest impact in terms of what sectors? Yeah, so, yeah, that as I'm scrolling through this report now, it's a 42-page report that, that came out this month, and it looks like the, the greatest um, impact was in the professional and business services, healthcare, um, retail, and social assistance. Uh, you know, as I mentioned a little while ago or several months ago, they stopped really adding in travel and leisure. That was one of the major um, industries that led the recovery out of the pandemic. We're no longer seeing that right now. Um, what we are seeing is, you know, the business services, health uh, care, uh, which is good for our local area because we we have a, a large health care um, large healthcare, uh, I, I just say industry here in Central Florida region, but um, our bread and butter is leisure and hospitalities. We're not seeing that. Um, we did see employment that de- declined, it looks like, in the oil and gas extraction industry, which was somewhat expected because, you know, energy prices rose significantly last year, and typically there is somewhat of a, a seasonality that takes place with that. So it, it looks like the, the biggest uh, one thing that's a pop positive when I look at the industries impacted in there is even though social assistance is listed in there, um, we don't see a the government leading in in creating job growth. Um, 
a lot of times when, when we have the government as the primary um, industry that's leading job growth, um, it kind of it tells a tale about the, the nature of the economy and the health of the overall economy. A lot of times we naturally, you know, we revert to here, let me just go to um, usgovjobs.com when things are, are right. bad, when things are getting difficult. And let me just, you know, work for a government because I can find stability in that. So all in all, this is a very, very great report. I just think it's a great report potentially at a, at a time where the Federal Reserve has to make a difficult decision when it comes to um, our interest rate policy in this country. Um, one of the things that I, you kind of talked about a little bit in, in terms of an uptick in prices, because we have seen recently the gas prices, I was wondering how much of that has to do with what's going on in the in the Middle East in, in terms of and in Ukraine in terms of the wars, and um, you know we're still kind of waiting to see uh, what the next escalation is going to be possibly uh, with the uh, I get a, a, a U.S. response to the um, servicemen that were killed recently because from the drone attack. So. Um, what do we expect that um, impact to be, as far as you know or can tell? Yeah, so those those geopolitical events out there are very impactful to our economy um, and directly related, especially relating to the drone attacks and the three service members that uh, died in that um, in that attack. Um, it, it's still we're still waiting to see what the response to be from the U.S. and in response to that. We do know that the that oil prices, energy prices, um, not only oil and energy prices, but also other trade um, prices and, and containers and other things of that nature and transport that transport through that through that region, uh, Middle East region, Gaza Strip region of the world have been impacted. Um, those those costs will eventually push through the economy through into the consumer. So it's very possible that we'll see even more of that. And I heard this morning um, there is some uh, more volatility or some initial heightened volatility that's taking place again between North Korea and, and South Korea um, with some exercises that have, have taken place. So though all these geopolitical events can, can really add in and create uh, more volatility for the market. You know, I say anytime there's uncertainty, there's volatility. And there's just a, a significant amount of uncertainty right now regarding these particular events um, and, and what will happen. I know it seemed like we were heading in positive direct, direction with the, uh, the talks uh, between Hamas and Israel, but it, it, there's just still a ton of volatility, a ton of uncertainty there that, leads me to believe that uh, we're, we're far from, from this being over. Um, hopefully those geopolitical events will not be a catalyst for something much greater and that will create more financial and economic harm um, domestically here in the U.S. But um, it, is a, it is an outlier, something that we have to focus on, unfortunately. That is quite unfortunate. Um... One of the things I wanted to also ask you about, and, and I think I want to do that when we get back, um, we're going to take a quick break, is 
how do you prepare for this type of uncertainty? Um, you know, this, this back and forth. The, the, the you know, it's hard to hard to it's hard to predict. Uh, obviously, job the job market, the reports. It's hard to predict what's going on overseas. How do you, I guess, maintain some sort of backup and stability uh, financially with all of this going on? I want to talk about that when we come back, okay? Okay, sounds good. Okay. So we're here with Paul Z. Shelton of Warwick Shore Advisors, and this is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We will be right back. Hi, I'm Tim Garris. Uh, You may know me as Timmy G. Yeah, I know. It's been two decades, but I want you to know I'm back in the Arkansas. And I've got a mix of music that can help you relax and chill out. It's smooth. It's relaxing. It's chill out jazz. The soulful mix of smooth jazz, soul, and smooth R&B. So join me every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. to midnight on KHAM Radio. Are you chillin'? This is Douglas Dobbs of Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community for 29 years with quality funeral and cremation services. Honoring all religions and faiths, we have been here for many grieving families. Whether it's a complete funeral service with a burial or a simple dignified cremation, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here for you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs dedicated to serving our families. Good morning. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us. I have another question for Paul, but before we go, I want to mention a couple of things. Tonight at 7, Dr. Phillips at the Steinmetz Hall, uh, they're doing an MLK um, concert um, they are asking that you bring a good to uh, help uh, United Against Poverty. So that's this evening. And then tomorrow there is a, a jazz event uh, sponsored by HAPCO, um, Joseph uh, McMullen, that we've had on the show. Um, we had ho- hoped to have him on today, but he's getting ready for it tomorrow. But that's tomorrow. I think it's in Oakland. So I will be posting that on the G's Power Hour page. The tickets for tonight's concert are free. You had to uh, sign up, I think, in advance for some tickets. Now, I think they said the online tickets were sold out, but there's a possibility if you go, if you're going to brave the traffic downtown, if you go, there is a possibility of still getting a ticket for tonight. But I will uh, post both of those events on the G's Power Hour Facebook page. In the meantime, we are back with Palsy Shelton of Warwick Shore Advisors. Um, how do you prepare for the uncertainty, Paul? Yeah, that's that's always a, a rough thing at uncertain times. That's what to do um, when they come. Um, that's where planning, you know, really comes into nature. You know, understanding, assessing where you are, um, where you've been, and where you want to go. You know, those are major caveats of planning. Um, Having that roadmap, having that plan already spelled out, you know, financially of where I should be um, if this happens, you know, if I'm unemployed for several months or if if I have a downward shift in in my employment where my earnings are less, you know, painting that picture and planning for that 
ahead is, is always the best thing to do. Um, it's better to have a plan and not need it than need it and, and not have it. So, you know, those those are things that you have to do on the surface. But oftentimes, you know, we're humans and, and we don't look to plan and we don't look for the future. We just look for the here and now. So a lot of times when I get this question, it's like, how do, how do I prepare for the future? Um, I'm, I'm a believer that we all know and we all believe and have some concepts of things that we should prepare for in the future, financial harm, we should prepare for any health care issues that we, we, we might have, prepare for a loss of job, um, or a significant, you know, car accident that could change things. Um, however, there needs to be a um, – needs to also be a, a, an, an ability – to um, assess where you are when a crisis does arise. So, and, and some of those things that you really want to do, um, if there is a sudden, you know, all of a sudden expense that rises or, you know, a catastrophe or something that happens and we're not prepared for in that uncertain moment, um, the, the best thing you can do is make sure you continue to have a support system of family and friends that you can lean on um, for uh, for support. Um, and, and that support is not just saying, you know, have someone that you can call and say, I need to borrow money from you, but have a, a support system uh, of people that you can lean on and um, draw encouragement from. Um, that's very, very important. Uh, mental health oftentimes is correlated with financial hardship. So that's very, very important to have that connectivity and that, that center and that grounding within your life for that respect. Um, highlight the activities that you enjoy. You know, highlight those, those enjoyable activities, you know, that you have in your life. Again, it brings you joy. It brings you happiness. And, and oftentimes when you, you find those activities, whether it's, um, you know, you know, arts and crafts or different things of, of that nature. It doesn't have to be something that's, you know, overly expensive. But oftentimes you will connect with other individuals that, you know, you'll find other in individuals that have those same goals and have those same ideas and wishes. And, and that can also help you build your support network. It can help you build um, a, a financial network. It can often lead to jobs. It can lead to opportunities because these are, you know, new friends in your network that you've garnered. And so those are the, um, the, the, the things that I think that are, are great to, to kind of focus on and kind of do when you are inside that situation and you haven't, you know, created that plan and when you haven't, um, you know, mapped out what life looks like when the what if happens. Now, Coming through the years, um, you know, my primary interest when I went to school and everything was uh, broadcasting, journalism, communications, stuff like that. So the thing that I discovered as I was going through and I started to try to encourage other people going into the industry is have a backup plan, have a second major, have some sort of uh, other interest. Um, and I wouldn't say that just for people in journalism, but just in, in general, be, because of the fact that um, our economy is in flux sometimes and, and the emphasis gets shifted um, at different times, sometimes what you initially uh, 
go go toward in terms of a career is not where you end up because of what happens with the economy and, and other things. So, um, but what I wanted to ask, with that being said, um, if you are in one career field and you decide to go to another career field, or let's just say add on an additional uh, job or whatever in a different career, does does that impact the economy? Does that have like does that take away jobs from other people? You know, you've got two, I've got none. You know, I, I would think that that's kind of you know puts a hardship on thing, hardship on things. Uh, I I guess it it could, but I you know I guess we, it, there would need to be an understanding of of. Uh, you know why I guess the unemployed person didn't get the job and the employed person got too. It could be a mismatch of skills or talent or, or anything of that nature, which could fall into structural unemployment in the economy. And so um, again, it's, it's an area where it could be unfair, yes, but understanding, you know, the the dynamics behind it, I think would would be important. Mm-hmm. So. Um... With that being said, is is there a way? I mean, we we they they do these predictions like in the next five years, these are going to be the big areas um, uh, in terms of employment. Do those predictions actually hold these days? I know COVID uh, kind of uh, made that uh, a little bit hard, but I mean, now that we are, I guess, somewhat back regular in terms of you know, how our economy runs um, or headed back that way. Can you make those types of predictions now? Yeah, I think it's easier now to to kind of forecast what the need is going forward now that um, COVID is behind us and it it kind of reshaped um, the the future going forward for us. It's it's like, you know, when the windstorm is blowing and you have the sands and everything that are moving at at a high speed, um, we don't know what's, what the future is going to look like. But once everything calms down, then we can see which direction the sand has cut the canyon. And then that really dictates, you know, where the water will fill in in the future. So I think now that we are in a, in a position where, um, you know, COVID is, knock on wood, hopefully, COVID is somewhat behind us, or at least we've understood how to accept and deal with you know, the, the virus in a pandemic of this nature, um, we kind of see that the industries that are outlined and the technology that is needed for us to still conduct business and for us to still move forward. Um, five years ago, in 2019, I mean, I don't think Kroger would be infiltrating into, you know, new markets solely on an um, a e-commerce basis. You know, Kroger has come to to the the Florida market only to you know deliver on an e-commerce basis. <laughs> we wouldn't have seen that five years ago. Now we see that now. Now we have um, more people that are shopping, more parking shopping online for groceries, more parking pay, spaces at at our retailers, at Publix, at um, Sam's, in different areas, specifically for those that have ordered online and just doing a pickup. Um, those things have changed. Um, that changes a lot. Um, that changes the, the the dynamics of what store sizes should look like. Um, potentially, that's 
of a retailer like Sam's, do they need as many locations or do they need more locations? Do they need as much size on the inside for people to shop eventually or are we going to shift more so over the next 10, 20, 30, 50 years to, to just have, you know, the grocery shopping experience be, you know, that that's done through ordering your food through the, through the refrigerator and then I just go pick, you know, stand in line and have everyone load in in my car and I can go home. Then that changes the dynamic. Sam's is no longer a, a retail center, but it's more of a warehouse that just houses all of the, the products that I need and I never go inside of it. So I think there's always going to be an um, ever-evolving type of concept with things, but I think as of where we are today, uh, we have a clearer picture um, post-pandemic as, as to where we're going and where the, the industries are in line and, and what's needed. And that's something really that a lot of universities and, and colleges, institutions of higher learning look at to understand what degree programs are of interest and, you know, what are employers looking for so that I can provide, my institution can provide what's current and what's needed. And we can sunset some of the other things that are no longer um, a, a facet of, of society. One thing that, and just to add this to it, one thing that I remember when I was younger um, and my dad was teaching school, uh, when you when we first moved to Florida, uh, high school had a class called home economics at that time. That class no longer exists. And I think that they were doing away with it, you know, by the time I went to high school. Um, that home economics class, I remember when he taught, he taught at North Marion High School in, in Ocala for a while. And that class, I remember the teacher, I remember – they would learn how to bake. They would do different things. We would bake cookies in the classroom. I remember being a kid going there and doing all that, learning so many valuable things around the home. Um, and, and to many people, it may be like, oh, it's trivial, this is that, you know, whatever the case may be. But that's something that we just no longer offer anymore. Um, but in my mind, the correlation to unhealthy eating and unhealthy lifestyles and unhealthy communication at dinner tables, because that's really what that class taught was how to interact health in a healthy manner inside of a home and how to have manners, how to have things of that nature. Um, we don't have that anymore. And you know, you you talk about home economics. I want to I want to talk about that for a minute because um, I actually took home economics finally as an elective that I, I just had to have an elective. So I took one and it was sewing. And by the time I was done with it, I was done with it. Uh, but one of the things that I, I think they need to bring it back, but I think they need to do it in a different way. Um, I'm not sure how they were set up when you were going to school, but my thing is, okay, I learned to bake. I learned to sew. Uh, can you show me, the cost differential in terms of if I make it or bake it myself versus getting it somewhere where they can order items in bulk, for example, and bake these goods. You know, I know you, like you say, you probably also need to bring in the health aspect. You know, um, I also think that part of, especially when it comes to food, I think they need to bring in something about 
growing it yourself or maybe co-oping with other, you know, uh, families or friends or neighbors in terms of, you know, growing your food and exchanging foods or something like that. But I think part of I think they need to bring it back, but they need to show, okay, how do how do I save money? Do you know get just you know getting by day to day, especially if you're on an income level that's lower than the average person, you know. So anyway, we're going to take a quick break. We are here with Paul D. Shelton of Warwick Shore Advisors. This is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment, and we will be right back. Does it appear the long arm of the law is working against you instead of for you? Whom do you call when the boys in blue are pursuing you? When the wrong person behind bars may end up being you? With over 40 years combined legal expertise, Anderson and Welch bring to bear a smart, sound, sensible defense of those caught in what may be the unrelenting grip of the legal system. Turn to Anderson and Welch first to get ahead of trouble, not fall into it, by calling 561-832-3386. That's 561-832-3386. That's Anderson and Welch Law Firm online at andersonandwelch.com. Good morning. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had So Good Entertainment. I should say good afternoon. Hope you all are well. Um, it's Finance Friday here on Z's Power Hour. We're not taking calls at this time. Uh, if you have uh, questions or comments for a future show with Paul, uh, please uh, hit me up on the Z's Power Hour Facebook page and leave me a message, um, and I will relay the information to him. But in the meantime, I wanted to go back. We were talking about um, – I was asking about home economics. Uh, Paul brought that up and how they don't necessarily have it in schools, and you know, maybe they should bring it back, or maybe they should should change it. I've even thought about possibly doing a a nonprofit that deals with uh, the education of of how to get by. You know, um, getting the most bang for your buck per se. You know, because they aren't teaching it in schools. Paul, you have Paul, are you still yes, there? Yes, I'm here. I'm oh, still okay. here. Yes. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, um, I think that it should be, you know, taught our, you know, there's a a revival of a lot of things that I think that should change um, just society in our society in total. Um, But, you know, I I see a a different level of respect. I see a different level of approach, uh, not only, you know, from teachers, but just as things have shifted in in school from, from the administrators and teachers, but from the level of appreciation that students get out of what they're they're learning and what they're appreciating, um, so I, I I really really think that that is uh you know it, it wouldn't hurt to have more of that in our school system. Definitely, um, <laughs> what's going on in our school system is a, another conversation entirely. So, um, it is. Uh, Black History Month, and I think that one of the things I would like to encourage is because it's come up a lot 
lately in terms of the economic impact of of slavery, and I really think that people need to go back and, and take a look and get the real deal in terms of who who, who it did and did not benefit and, and uh, what, what the takeaways are. But in the meantime, um, African Americans, you know, are, are having trouble kind of going forward still. The, the income levels still don't mesh in a lot of cases. Um, what are, are there any particular and, and one of the things that I really would like to focus on and hope to have someone on uh, uh, the people on later this month is dealing with generational wealth we've become such a disposable economy that a lot of times we just uh, you know we we get something we use something for the immediate purposes and then we kind of toss it versus looking at uh, what we are doing and how we benefit our families, um, not just now but down the road. Um, I remember when my mom, um, she ended up moving in with us. She sold her house and everything, um, and she had some money in her account. And I was like, Mom, you know, go travel, go do something, you know. And she was, she was her concern was leaving something with me, and I'm like, don't worry about me because I know me. I'm gonna probably. You know, unfortunately, I'm one of those spenders. Uh, it's probably going to be gone as soon as you leave it to me. But I was more concerned about her. However, we we used to have that type of society where you people were concerned about leaving stuff to their children. Um, you know, leaving a, leaving a legacy for grandchildren and stuff like that. What what changed? What happened? I, that's a great question. I, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a me, me, me society. We don't have that, uh, that biblical principle anymore. Uh, and maybe that's where, where it, what changed it. I know, you know, you mm. reverting back to school. You took prayer out of schools and, um, you took, yeah. you know, the Bible out of schools and then now you have a lot of violence in schools. And it's like, there's no reason there. You shouldn't even question that. <laughs> the decision was made. And you're living it. Um, mm-hmm. The Bible clearly says that you should have a, an inheritance, leave an inheritance for your children's children. You know, and mm-hmm. and you know, you take the, the Bible out of it, you take prayer out of it, you take God out of many things, you take Him out of your economics, and what's left there? Greed. You just it's left for yourself, and you don't have that. And it's not saying that we are we are intentionally each family is intentionally trying to be greedy, but we're consuming a society that's making um, the now, the me, okay, as opposed to a society that's looking forward to, to building up the future. I had an opportunity last year um, to, to meet a group of individuals that traveled to America, and they were here for 30 days from Africa, different parts across the, the continent. Um, and they traveled here just solely to, to absorb um, the culture and the society, the Western culture and society. And I was having a conversation with one of the young men, and he was completing his, um, his master's degree, and he shared that where he was from, they have a, a lot of land, and when his dad died, it was the responsibilities of his oldest brother, the oldest living child, the oldest living male child in the family, now, it's your responsibility to make sure that the younger siblings that have not 
um, graduated from school or got married or anything of that nature, make sure that they're taken care of financially. So he said, when my dad died, my oldest brother, who was married and had a family, took me under his wing financially. He made sure that if, if I needed, needed something done at school for a field trip or if I needed, you know, uh, something done health-wise or anything paid for with college and everything, my brother took over that responsibility. He was able to take that responsibility over because his dad left him with resources to be able to do that. So the mentality mm. was totally different. The mentality is let's generate resources so that when things happen, we're able to take care of each other and have enough resources to pass down to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. I believe that's where we've gotten away from in our society. And I think that's the biggest um, downfall that we have. Mm-hmm. But even, I have to say, because uh, just something I've witnessed recently, um, even though we've taken religion or, or, you know, spiritual spirituality or whatever out of the schools, it still starts with home because I see kids coming to school and they don't, they don't know how to do conflict resolution without throwing a swing or a punch or a hateful word, okay? And it's like, you know, that has to start at home. You know, I was talking to uh, someone uh, recently, and it was like, well, my mom told me if someone hits me, I hit them back. And it's like, well, you know, and I remember hearing that too, but I also remember getting other advice in terms of how to handle stuff that, you know, would get me out, would not get me into the kind of trouble that hitting back would do. But we we have this, you know. It's like we, we have it's this whole prideful thing, um, and, and I hear stuff about not letting stuff stand that I have to hit back. Uh, I not, you know I shouldn't have to take X, Y, and Z, even to the point where some of the the adults are being disrespected, and it's it's really kind of sad because we used to teach our children to have a little bit more respect for the adults, for the elders. We used to, you know, we're so, we're, as Christians, we're supposed to teach, not necessarily about adults, but respecting each other in terms of respecting human life. And that doesn't Correct. necessarily happen, you know. And that has to it happen doesn't. regardless of what school teaches. It, it, exactly. And I agree with that. And I think because it, it, hadn't happened in, in in the homes for so long is what made it easy for you to take it away from the schools. You, you remember it's the parents and, and those that didn't want the Bible and prayer in schools that lobby for it to be taken out in that one, in that respect. So it was, it always started at the home it, and it, it, that's where it ends at the home. The kids are only at school for a certain portion of time during the day. Um, the unfortunate reality is the same mentality that you have then of I'm going to strike back, I'm going to hit back, I'm going to do this and do that is what most teachers live on today. And that's the reality in the, in the, um, their personality and the stance that they take. I've had an incident recently, as recently as two days ago, where um, in my opinion, and I shared this with the school and I shared this a lot and we had a, 
very long conversation about this. Three teachers bullied my daughter because they were upset on some information that she wrote in her journal about them, in her personal journal. And they took it and they found it, they read it, and they pulled her out and they bullied her in a hallway, my nine-year-old daughter, by herself with three adult teachers. The school is very scared because they understand how they screwed up in that situation. But you have a mentality of teachers now that have the same um, same club mentality that uh, the children had back in the day, those same children that were children that thought that, hey, I just need to hit back, stand my ground, and fight are the ones that are teachers now. Um, there will be the ones that will be governors next. There will be the ones that will be our senators our leadership on the executive level. Um, so what we see now, how much worse will it be in the future? Yeah. Yeah, and I know people are saying, well, you got off of economics, but, you know, the thing about it is the education and the socialization that our young people get in school will, you know, determine what type of adults they'll be in while some of us will be retired or maybe disabled, unable to handle, let's say, the affairs of government or other things like that, those things will be in the hands of these kids. Okay, you got to understand correct. that. Yeah. And, so, and it does shape you know. our economy because, because the, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, people wanted to be teachers. My, my sister, who's in education, has been in education for over 30 years, wanted to be in education because of the teachers that impacted her life when she was younger. Mm-hmm. Imagine if we have a, a, a decade of, of, of unimpactful teachers. Um, what does that do yeah. for education and the economy going forward? Um, people will shift away from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a shame. But, you know, all, all you can do, well, first of all, you got to start at home. So if you want to make a yeah. change, you want to see change, you got to start at home. And then second, you have to let your voice be heard. You know, you've got to get involved. You've got to get involved in your schools. You've got to get involved in your social clubs. You know, you've got to encourage your your churches and church leaders and fraternities, sororities, everything that we're involved in to get involved, to say, hey, you know, it's, it's time for certain behaviors uh, to stop. And what can we do to, you know, change, move things in a more positive direction. So, Paul, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Talk again next month. You take care. You thank and your family you. be well. Thank you. You too. Thank you all God for bless. listening. This has been bye-bye. God bless. This has been G's Power Hour. I never had it so good entertainment. I'm your host, G. Be well, be safe, be blessed. Hug a loved one. And please remember, all real power comes from God. Take care. <laughs>